Welcome to Inside the Firm, a podcast dedicated to small business owners and hosted by entrepreneurs, Alex Gore and Lance Psycho. Each week, they take you on their journey of how to start, run, and grow a business by bringing you inside their architecture and real estate development firm. Get a behind-the-scenes tour of how these business leaders manage their clients and foster company culture while creating new and innovative projects. And now your hosts, Alex Gore and Lance Psycho. This episode of Inside the Firm is brought to you by ArtCat. ArtCat.com is the place to go when the time has come for your firm to begin gathering product and material information for its next project. Let's say you're tasked with finding the top window manufacturers and they need to have CAD, BIM, and specifications. Wouldn't it be nice if there was a search engine that showed you who has the data you need? There is. And it's ArtCat.com, the number one most used website for finding building product information. Search for a product or even a CSI section and get a list of manufacturers and the data they offer. Even better, you can download all that technical data for free. That's right. You don't even need to register to use ArtCat. Save your firm time, money, and frustration and go to ArtCat.com to start building better content. That's A-R-C-A-T. This episode was also brought to you by Dell. And right now, Dell is having their Black Friday sneak peek week. Be the first to save on business deals up to 50% off and special doorbuster promotions until November 6th. That's right. Shop now while savings last at dell.com forward slash inside the firm or call 1-800-757-8442. That's Dell.com forward slash inside the firm or call 1-800-757-8442 and tell them you're a listener of inside the firm to break out those special deals. Enjoy the show. We are here uh, at a very special edition of the podcast called the Popcast because we have my pops, Keith Gore, affectionately known as Old Man River, on the Popcast. How's it going, Dad? Doing really good. Thanks, bud. So why are you here and what have you been doing? <laughs> well, actually, your mom and I came just to visit and say hi. And what you, happened? <laughs> but, but your development project is keeping you guys busy, so it's running a little longer. And so I came so I could at least help a little bit. And Grams is enjoying some fun time with the grandkids. If I and, remember, and your beautiful wife. If I remember correctly, I said, if you're going to come visit, you have to come to work. Yeah. So what have you been doing out there? Well, I think it was appropriate to uh, assign tasks for my limited skill in retirement, working on getting the numbers all put up for the unit numbers, getting the fire boxes put in place, and uh, you had some fire signs. department signs that I had to get put up in place, and then tracking down, getting the keys all set for the fire boxes. So a lot of running, and unfortunately, uh, drill bits were going dull and nothing was going right and it was taking longer than I thought but we got there yeah it's like a mini experience of like the whole project yeah yeah so what do you think of the project I I really like the uh you know you guys have the units for that you're selling and then your office unit and just seeing how you've been able to design all that to fit it into the footprint and then how it's all coming together so for me, it's just fun just to see, you know, how do you go from concept 
you know, get it designed, get it approved, now get into execution phase, and then, uh, you know, just watching it come together, and then now... Uh, I, this is my second helping you guys. I got to help on the, the tiny house, and now I got to help a little bit on the, uh, the, what do you call the big development project? Mark two. Mark two. So I think the tiny fun. house here out here for a week. Yeah, for a week. Yep. And this one you weren't supposed to help. But yeah, the this project. was just originally planned just to be a come and say hi and relax. Yep, yep. Um, but while we have you here, we thought we'd also do a podcast and learn from uh, your background. So tell the listeners so they know where from high school to retirement what did you what did you do <laughs> well, where do you work in uh well i got a backup to give my dad credit grandpa gene yeah. uh, he was a uh, retail manager women's clothing store and a family of six boys and why we women's all, clothing well, just he, he actually started out after world war ii um w- w- the big department stores had their windows and he was a um, you know, taking them down, taking them apart, setting up displays, you know, seasonal displays and all that. And he got into the retail and then having to work with um, the different department stores. He just got to know the business and, and clothing and whatnot. And long story short, he ended up getting offered a job to manage a women's apparel store, but having all sons, it <laughs> left the opportunity for us to be store boys. Yeah. And that was our um, coming into high school and our first part-time job was working for him, mopping the floors, uh, hanging, uh, or, you know, receiving merchandise. That's kind of where I, I got a, uh, my first insight to um, inventory-type actions, although way back then it was very uh, paper-intensive and whatnot. So I uh, worked for Grandpa Gene in high school just for a part-time job for spending money, you know, pay for car insurance and gas and whatnot. And then uh, went out to our community college in Rochester. Didn't really know what I wanted to do professionally from a long-term standpoint. So I was taking the general classes and uh, got a job part-time at Champion Auto Stores. I don't even know if they have any Champion Auto Stores anymore. I don't know. And that was basically, you know, working the cash register and, you know, people calling, hey, do you got this brake part, you know, brake pads for whatever, and we'd go to the old paper catalogs. And I'm not kidding you, it was a probably a 10-foot desk with catalogs, and we'd have to look it up and then go check the inventory. And so I did that part-time, and that was all fine. And then... Uh, Mixed with that, I got to uh, work for the Minnesota Highway Department just for three months because my buddy Danny, uh, he I know had Danny. Left, yeah, you know Danny, uh, he had left to go to college, and I thought, well, I can wait. I'll just start the winter term. So I was uh, on the paint crew putting the highway stripes down. It was just fun. It was just different experiences to do it. So I got into uh, working uh, whatever the part-time jobs um, just to get through college and still wasn't quite sure what I wanted to do. So I applied for IBM, which has a large development manufacturing site at the time in Rochester. And now it's, it's mainly yep, Minnesota, not Rochester, Minnesota. Yeah. And, and it's mainly uh, just a development lab now, but went out and applied there and got hired in the warehouse just to be a part stocker and, you know, shipping parts and whatnot. And, and just did that for three months and interviewed for a job up in our development lab and that was working in our reproduction services. That's where back in those days, 
blueprint machines, filming um, all the different drawings, uh, putting those on uh, aperture cards with a little 35 millimeter film picture of whatever the drawing. And then the job I had or started with was, you know, how do you keep track of our different development labs and manufacturing sites and who got what? You know, we got to send these aperture cards here and do that there. And so it was all learning the uh, what we called reproductive um, services for IBM, the internal paperwork. Uh, which evolved into being named down the road product documentation. So I actually just started taking jobs, learning them, growing, taking whatever more. Uh, ended up, we had a manufacturing application that I became the systems analyst for and uh, learned all that job. And at the time, we were then. What does that mean? Like what? Well, the manufacturing application was basically, and we were very site-centric at those times. So Rochester, Minnesota had all its programs locally. Um, Endicott, New York had theirs. Poughkeepsie, New York had theirs. Havant, England had theirs. Montpelier, France. But you were all—you weren't really connected. We didn't have the connectivity uh, that unfolded in the years. I mean, this was the. Uh, late 70s, early 80s when this was all happening. And so it was very um, site-centric. And and the analyst role was, how does this application work? Who does what, when, and where? You know, the manufacturing engineer can do this. Procurement engineer can do that. Production control analyzers can do this. The development engineer can do that. So it's kind of a role. And and I don't know if, Alex, you remember when you were little, you'd always ask, well, Dad, what do you do? And the way I described it way back when you were younger, I said, well, it's kind of like... um, uh, between a, a policeman and, and a judge, you know, we we knew who what the laws were for who could do what, when, and where, and as long as things went well, fine. But if things got, you know, someone did the wrong thing, they'd get in trouble. We'd have to go teach them or educate them. And but 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 that's what you said early on. Because your jobs have evolved. Because your later jobs, you did you said a different analogy for. So keep keep progressing. Oh, all right. Well, I'll keep yeah. progressing. So, so so that site-centric stuff began to transition. And I was asked to be a part of a team as IBM internals. We wanted to upgrade all of our engineering applications. You know, like, what's the next generation? And we had various internal programs, but they really weren't, let's call it, robust for large um, data sharing. Because now the whole information age is uh, exploding in how we're moving data back and forth. So I was asked to be a part of that development team as far as um, representing our internal customers. But IBM was also partnering with external customers, Kodak, uh, although their business model was beginning to decline, but they they had needs at that time. Pratt & Whitney, Martin Marietta, um, Caterpillar, et cetera. And they were all looking for upgrading on their applications. So we had um, management reps and then technical reps, which at the time I was a technical rep for our manufacturing records domain or or, or abilities. And so I was flying to Atlanta probably every other month, meeting with the developers, meeting with the externals. And, um, you know, we're sharing here's what we need, here's how it works, what doesn't, you know, uh, pass for a type of, um, let's call it um, error, you know, actions, you've got to, nope, can't do this, you got to do that. So it's a lot of, you know, the rules and, and, and what you can do and can't do. So I led that for our IBM um, internal team, and we had technical other reps on my team and, and whatnot. But then the project, long story short on that was, really wasn't going the way IBM wanted to, because we were trying to take IBM requirements and external customer requirements, say, can't we build one thing that suits all needs? 
and everything the customers wanted was actually, you could say maybe a little bit less sophisticated than what IBM needed. They were trying to catch up to us. And no matter what we tried to do, they'd no, that's not what we want, we need this. So we finally broke the program down and, and kind of moved it off into the more public sector because what they needed and what we needed just couldn't be gelled. So I stepped out of that program and then developed, um, went into, we were, I just wanted something different. So helped create a software uh, development center out of Rochester, so how we would move software back and forth. So I did that for about a year. And then it was after that I, w I had the opportunity to get into management back into our whole product documentation area. And so using the skills I learned technically, I was now leading people. But going back, are there different people higher up that, that know you somehow and pull you in these different directions? Oh. Or do you self-direct or how did it work? Right. Well, well, you always had a management team above you. And what happened is I was representing our different organizations. I'd have to meet with their management teams, their directors, their vice presidents. So really understanding, explaining things, and, and normally when things are going well, no one's talking to you because everything's humming. It's when there's a problem or there's a hot issue. And the thing that used to always frustrate me was what we always called the Friday afternoon emergency. You know, mm -hmm. something was wrong on the manufacturing floor. Development had a panic. They had to get an engineering change defined and released and into manufacturing that day so we could you know keep running through the weekend but it was always you know half the people are taking vacation in the summer you know technical people are going management people are going it was my job to really say okay right who's here who's not if that manager's not there i know his director or her director or the vice president and it was basically orchestrating a, a path forward in a lot of chaotic you know, times and it always was a Friday afternoon. Yeah. Right? Yep. So, and basically people just, you know, the different executives got to know me and that's why they wanted to offer me into IBM management and I progressed up that way and, and I'll jump quicker now. I not only managed our Rochester team, but we are now merging the sites together. And so I ended up offering up a pro, uh, excuse me, a proposal on how we could merge our Poughkeepsie team in Poughkeepsie, New York, our Austin, Texas team and our Rochester team together and basically move our applications across those three sites and then with a smaller workforce because of now leveraging the skills, you know, we could basically do more with less. Now you're, instead of independent cities running their own software, it's now the time where, hey, all these different IBM plants can get on the same page. Right, yeah. We're now sharing uh, uh, more centralized applications, and everyone's now remotely just signing into to whatever the, the application where it was housed and, and maintained. But the, the support teams, like the groups I was managing, we were spread across... Um, across the U.S., and then we had our sister support teams that we coordinated with across the whole world. And we were all on the same application. So now instead of 20 versions of the same applications, you we now evolved to one application with everyone on it at once. So mammoth, you know, expansion of, of online, you know, real-time users on yep. a single application. And what, what application was, was this just for people organization or are these different types of applications for different uses? Well, the, the, where I had been on more of a manufacturing record system, I evolved towards leading the team that was on the engineering side 
but the manufacturing teams and the procurement teams and the and what we called our production control teams evolved into that so kind of the manufacturing applications went away and we we blended them into this engineering application so it became an engineering application yeah. that, that crossed all the way from development through manufacturing procurement and even out to the vendors because now we're we're moving data out to them and we were contracting instead of having part of the manufacturing whether it was in rochester or poughkeepsie it might have been in um taiwan right yeah. or down in guadalajara mexico so, so working with cross borders. What year did you start at IBM and what year did you end at IBM? Oh, good questions. <laughs> I think I started in 77, 1977, and I retired in 2013. Okay. So about 35 years, almost 36. So the in that span, did how they train or give you resources change or, or how did they, when you went from new position to new position, and I don't even know if we ended up, did we, did, maybe we should stop. Was that the end of the road or is there more? Oh, well, it, I, I guess our old, what I call the product documentation group tended to be more of a development side of the organization, but through reorganizations and trying to find the right skills, we were moved underneath a manufacturing organization umbrella. So now instead of development pushing data out, we represented manufacturing, and this was like a, a global supply chain wanting to pull data in. So from development, from contract developers, etc. So as I was managing those group, I had more people dispersed and managers reporting to me in different organizations across the sites. And then near probably, in, and I was a second line manager uh, through those, those time frames. the last few years of my IBM employment, they were looking to say, okay, how do we now look at what's the remaining fruit? What can we fix? What can we evolve? What can we you know, do differently? So I was asked to join a team that was looking across all our organizations. We're kind of, you know, fact-finding what's working, what's not working. How could we leverage, you know, money and investment on programs or applications because resources were always a challenge. And one of the projects that I kind of kicked off for my old organization as I was leaving uh, this, this internal application, I said, okay, here's what I, I recommend all of you do now that I'm going to be working on broader things, but basically think of um, artificial intelligence being brought in. Because IBM, we had you know, the Watson computer yep. And, and, yep. and that technology. And I said, our biggest problem is you can train skills, but how long will you have them? And they're going to be out the door. So I said, we need a way to take that information knowledge of a development engineer or a procurement engineer or a manufacturing engineer and entwine that into the application and I said, think of it this way. It's either you're hired and you have to do an engineering change, but you really don't know much, so you need a ton of guidance. In the program, you basically, I got to do this, this, and this. I've got a, uh, a card that, that's malfunctioning. I got to make sure I know what, what's all the things I got to fix and change, and who do I even notify, right? Yep. So instead of that person who maybe just start with the company having that knowledge, I said, we, could, we can embed that into the program and say, okay, so it's either you guide me or you drive me. Well, right? <laughs> and so it just go down that path of, of technology. That leads into, in, into my question then. So, so you started out 
literally with blueprints. Yep. And then it was how to train people and how to capture this knowledge. Yep. So maybe you could elaborate on that, but, but maybe personally, when you stepped into these different roles, did they have like, hey, take two days, watch these videos. I, I worked oh, at McDonald's. How I, how I got trained? Yeah, yeah. Watch these videos or, or here's a reference book yeah. or go talk to Bill. Bill will show you what yeah. to do. And, okay. and, and did that evolve over time? Right. Early for me in my career, and this is anyone in IBM over those same time periods, you, may, you basically had documentation. You had procedures. Here's who does what, when, and where. And you'd read and study those, but a lot of it was basically mentoring. It's, but it's in a book, booklet. Yeah, it was book form. Right? A binder, yeah. right, maybe. Right, yeah, right. Because, again, the whole online ability was, was quite limited way back in the in the 70s. But as we raced into the 80s and beyond, it began falling in place, being more interactive and online. So for myself and then anyone similar, right, you would kind of, here's the job, here's the description, but you'd normally, you were teamed with someone to help or, or a small group to say, here's what you need to know, here's what you need to do. In fact, I used to go do education way back, you know, when I was in the technical lead, is teaching people, you know, here's what you do and not do and whatnot. But now come back to where I was wrapping up there on, on the automation approach. We were still doing that even until, you know, as we went past 2000 and into, you know, the, the first years of, of or, you know, last 15, 20 years. But we were trying to get, how do you get more intelligence into the application? And so if you pretty much knew all you wanted to do, you just have the application look over your shoulder because of hectic pace, and just make sure that I miss anything, and it would kind of give you a warning, kind of like the cars, you know, how cars warn you, wait, don't forget this, whatever. Or if you need a lot of help, the, pro, the, 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 the gist of the program challenge was how much can we lay it out to guide you along and, and, and take you to the right end course. Mm -hmm. and, and so the, the team I was managing, work on that. How do we get that technology to come to bear? So our people were very you know resource constrained because they're they're hot ticket issues and, and challenges versus training right yep um do you do you keep abreast of uh ibm's acquisition of red red hat and do you know what that is I, i've heard of it but now any of the acquisitions because ibm really does purchase and acquire a lot of companies I look at it, and in in years ago when I first retired in 2013, I kind of watched it more 2014, 2015, because I was just out of the job. Now that we're a few years beyond that, I'll see the headline. But I found out there's so much to understand. What are they doing? Why? Yep. Where are they going? It's all part of how do you grab technology? How do you grab smart people and pull them into your umbrella of services that you want to you know, amass the knowledge and the skill? And it's basically their in my terms, they're shortcutting. Instead of us trying to figure out and grab, gain the knowledge in a certain new emerging technology, if there's a company that's racing up that ladder, let's grab them, pull them in, and merge them with our people. Yeah. So I don't pay attention to the details anymore just because, gosh, there are just so many different nuances all over the place. Yeah. Um, what, what was one of the best things that you experienced at IBM that, you're like, that you thought either it was a... A task, a program, an accomplishment that that you were a part of, or or you knew kind of of what was going on. Well, technology was was always fun because it was just interesting to see what applications. So nothing stands out in the technology side. It was just it was all interesting. But what I really enjoyed when I got into management, because working with people, 
uh, to me was the greater challenge. And when you've got an organization in, in Alex, you, you know, you've got people that you manage, right? How I really enjoyed when I, because the people I managed were in the same field that I technically had grown and raised myself in my career, right? So I understood all their issues and challenges for the most part. Now there was new emerging uh, aspects that I w hadn't even quite understood because again, I was now into management versus the technical, but it was working with them and enjoying seeing them, rewarding them, compensating them, appreciating people and the talent and, and the impact that they got. And to me, that that's, I, I enjoyed the most, but then the flip coin, was the tough times when, you know, because IBM had gone through various, you know, down, down cycles and challenges and, hey, you, you know, you're working hard, you know, telling people they don't get a raise um, or in worst cases, they're getting laid off, right? I mean, to me, I hated those. Yeah, yeah. Um, what was it? That would be the stuff that you didn't like. Yeah. What, did you see... Did you ever see any sort of improvement that you wanted the company or maybe your own little division or uh, group to go in that maybe they missed an opportunity? Uh, interesting question. And I'm not sure if I'm either taking your question correctly, but the way I would answer it is what I saw us becoming and what I learned myself, and I would encourage whether it's Alex, you and Lance and your business or others, w there's times you kind of get into this, you got to win at all costs. You've got to, whatever you're trying to do, it's got to be done and kind of too bad for the other guy or gal, right? W I didn't like that, but I knew I had to do that. In fact, that part of the, how did I get into management, whatever, is when I was representing other VPs, you know, I had to be conscious of their budget. You know, so group A wanted, hey, you're going to have to pay, you know, 20%. And, and, and my one group said, I can only spend 15, right, or whatever. And, and so it very became um, adversarial in, in actions and negotiations and in how you took on issues. Mm -hmm. And, and you, anyone can learn those skills and do it. And you can have various successes, but what I found for myself personally, it didn't fit into the type of person I would like to be. I thought, wait, can't we, you know, it's the old adage, win-win. What do you need? How do we find it? Let's do the trade-offs. Let's work our way to it. And actually, I was seeing IBM drifting more into and grasping more and more of those. Now, there's always the challenge where there's a hard, you know, hard line in the sand where you couldn't go left or right. But... To me, it was when we could work to say, wait, we can figure this thing out. It might take a little longer, might have to do a little left, a little right. But let's, you know, to me, having adversaries when you're in the same company, you know, different groups or whatever, why would you do that? Yeah. Um, I always thought this was a funny question. I wonder, I wonder if, if you're up to the challenge of answering it. <laughs> if someone asked, if someone came over and had no idea, what IBM was, and they said, what does IBM do? What would you say? I'd say it's a hardware and a software and a services corporation worldwide. We basically develop, maintain, sell, rent computers for a variety of whatever your business needs are, uh, software development and acquisition and, and, and use, right, that goes with the hardware side. 
and then services. I actually did. I never mentioned. I even did consulting. I, I would be sent out and, and others, you know, for IBM going consulting. But we services, right? Oh, you want us to run your data farm, your data farm, or you want us to come in and look at and evaluate what you're doing? Maybe we can offer ways either with our programs or or, or our um, policies or our methods to help you do what you need to, what you can't do today. Yep. And and one of the things, and, and I won't go too long, but I'll just give an example, is during the Iraqi wars, I um, was asked to go meet with some military contract groups that were starting up, and they just, you know, they're trying to build equipment for the U.S. Army, but, you know, what if it breaks down or maintains, and how would you handle this, you know, like over in the field when you're in a war zone? And they wanted us just to talk and brainstorm with them and just how they develop and manage their data. And, and, you know, one of the things I remember just getting into in the discussion is that, you know, for example, you drive over, you got a Humvee piece of equipment, you know, something big like that, and you hit an IED and you blow off the whole front right, you know, drivetrain issue. Well, how do you, you know, is it junk? The whole thing's gone or can you fix it? Well, how do you manage all the data from nuts, bolts, screws to sub-assemblies to larger assemblies? And, and manage that data so they'd say, okay, wait, we just lost the right rear, right uh, front tire. It looks like the whole, um, you know, rocker arms and all those are gone. How would we get those parts? Do we have that inventory? How do we do that? And, and the startup companies just didn't understand how to manage information that could possibly make it easy for them to adapt and, and work in that kind of a complex environment. Yeah, because probably when they're on base or, you know, uh, in the States, they have their relationships. They know, right. hey, it's Frank. Go to, But yep. Frank's not going to send something to Iraq. Right. Yep. <laughs> um, interesting. Uh, it'll, it'll also be interesting to see, too. I don't know if you have a take on this. So, uh, a lot of, I think, the services that IBM provides and and some of the hardware is being challenged a lot from Amazon Web Services, but um, also companies like oh, I'm blanking on them now. It's been a, it's a long couple of days of work, uh, <laughs> but but just think about the Silicon Valley software startups. Yep. Uh, about you know tracking people, organization, working together, uh, things like that. You probably didn't. Did you feel any of that going out, or or was that all after? 2013 wasn't too long ago. Well, IBM in any larger corporation has a challenge. There, any group can be a smaller, more nimble pocket or zero in on a on a unique need or issue or niche, and the ability to go fill and and, and solve that problem or need is easier in a smaller company because you're basically, I mean, you could say, hey, John Doe or Mary Francis, can you, hey, work on this, go program that out, come up with a solution, whatever. But when all of a sudden you start scaling that up, and, and, and that, whether that was where IBM had evolved to in the larger scale, is, is more towards smaller business, medium, large business, you know, the whole mainframe and all that. But how do you get that complexity and make it scalable? You know, to really just, it doesn't matter whether you get 10 employees today or 100 tomorrow or 5,000, make it all work. And, and so we were always seeing those, uh, let's call fringe nuances and or challenges or opportunities. And that's why in some cases we say, hey, we, we don't have the time to figure that out. We'd like to, but it, let's just go, we'll buy that company, bring them in. Mm-hmm. So we were seeing that on and off. And, and that's truthfully, I, I think, all the, the, the challenges, the, the major players in software and hardware services what's out there, how are you approaching it, 
And, and, and how much are you going to enable, let's call it this customer entity, to buy hardware and software and it's all controlled on their shop and you kind of hand off that solution? Or are you entwined with them and, and they're, they're basically using your data farms and, and you're providing daily operational support? You know, so it all depends. What's the need? How do you figure that out? Yeah. Uh, do you remember any epiphanies or any, uh, I guess that's probably the best word, word where you literally maybe changed the way you managed or the way you thought or the way you did things uh, over the years? Uh, probably if I thought, had time to think back, I could get more. But there was one major event in my life when I was in IBM as a manager and, and oversimplified, we had a tough issue and a problem and I was not happy with another executive that I was dealing with. So he, he and I happened to be really clashing heads at it. Yeah. And I was so frustrated because he was basically, in, in my opinion at the time, you know, not realizing, hey, wait, we, he's got to work with us, right? And, and so I said, that's it, I'm done with him. Wrote a you know, short note to his VP and basically scolded him, chastised him, just kind of, hey, we're the customers of this group, this is why you do it, and I won't name names, but you know, John Doe really is basically not meeting our needs. Something's gotta be done. Yep. And um, that vice president ended up talking with me, talking with his director, you know, he and that director and myself, as a director, we were you know, kind of both got probably scolded, you know, to put it that way. But when it got done, that is um, the event that I said, wait, that, I'm never going to do that again. Although I kind of got, I, I won the battle. I thought for how I wanted to be as a manager and as an executive when I worked for IBM, kind of lost the war. I, I, I was short-sighted. Right. And that's how, Alex, that um, saying that FSID came into play. I said, wait, what do I stand for? Well, yeah, you got to yeah. name them now. Okay, well, I, I said, what do I, you know, wanted to, to remind me? And at the time, in IBM, all our correspondences, we had our closing, you know, who we are, you know, my name and program director for this and whatnot. But we could have a little saying, a little something. Yeah. And so what I did is I came up with the initials F as in Frank, S as in Sam, I as in N, D as in dog. And so I'd had my name, Keith Gore, FSID, you know, program director. <laughs> a lot of people probably thought it was like, uh, like yeah. AIA, yeah, right, you know, right, like yeah, architect, right? you know, and, like. And, 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 and some people started asking me what that was. And I said, well, long story short, it was a reminder of the type of personality, the characteristics I wanted to really remind myself every day. Because every day I, I'd see that in my list. And it, and it just was a reminder. The F was for, you know, my faith beliefs. S was the type of service, you know, I, I as a service provider, well, how do I want to do that? I was for the integrity I wanted to have. And then the, the D was for desire. And I always had it, not that I had desire for other we have to be careful of our desires. What's driving us? What's motivating us? So to me, it was always a reminder, be careful. What are you doing? Why do you want to do this? Yep. You know, what are you trying to achieve? And, and that FSID, I've had, well, you know, it's been yep. for years. Yep. Um, so after, after going through that experience, if you were, if you rewound time, how would you deal with that guy in the new way? I would have contacted John, you know, 
The, the, just, the guy. The guy that I had the conflict and said, so wait a second here. I know something's wrong here. Either you've got issues that you're dealing with in your organization and you're not really understanding our needs or vice versa. Let's talk. What can we do? And if, if we can't solve something right now, how do we at least make stepping stones and a plan to move it forward? So, so what, what you quote unquote did wrong, we'll try not to put too much judgment on it, but was you asked this guy, he said, no, he said, we need this. He, you know, blew you out, whatever. Right. And then you went right above. Right. So then you'd say, wait, wait, something's clearly wrong what's going on let's dive into more of the issue and get a plan rather than this just yes no right i i I let the burdens that my executives on me expected me to solve and i wasn't again it was a little bit more that you know i win you lose kind of that old clashing I, i i just didn't stop at that time to understand his organizational issues or expectations and why he couldn't have. So to me, it's like, why would you do that? It's really, it's kind of, hey, I'm not happy. I'm going to throw a hand grenade in there, blow up whatever, and then we'll pick up the pieces. What good does that do? So I, I would at least rather... It clears go, a building. Yeah, it does. <laughs> but I would at least rather, all right, what, what do you need? Here's what I need. Let's come up with something. Because one way or another, one of us or both of us are going to have to go to our executives because if we don't resolve this, some you know higher than us will have to yeah right and that's and that's not fun for for people okay so i think we'll wrap it up we've had a long work day so i'm tired (laughs) we'll get back to the family um any any reminder anything you want to let out and then also say your four letters again and let people know what those are and then we'll wrap up and kick kick the can go watch a family movie there we go okay i would just say for anyone whether it's work environment community family just try to be the nice person be good be understanding no there's always two sides every story right there's something you don't know so just try to navigate forward no one needs enemies so avoid that and that then tied back to my my four letters my fsid faith service integrity and desire that's my motto that i just use every day to remind me try to be the right the best person i can very nice old man signing off old man river and uh alex core signing off i'm sure lance will be on next podcast thanks for listening everyone thanks 